This is message number nine, so it's been a, a, a long journey, and we have been covering topics that have been focuses of Living Word Church for over 38 years, and we, you know, we talked about what, what is a church and the fundamentals of a church, what makes up a church. We talked about the power of God's Word, and we talked about the power and necessity of prayer. We, we talked about spiritual growth and the need for us to grow spiritually. We talked about evangelism and missions. And this morning we're going to talk about a subject that I wasn't planning on talking on uh, till till about two weeks ago. And as I was praying, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to cover this subject. And it's the subject of money and finances. And, 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 you know, as I was thinking about money, I was thinking about how there really is not any area of our life that is not impacted by money. So let's just stop and think about the areas of your life. When you wake up in the morning and you go to the kitchen and you're hungry, what do you want to do? You want to open your refrigerator and you want to get a, a, a jug of orange, orange juice or, or milk and you pour that and you drink. And, and, and how did you get that orange juice and that milk? You bought it with money, right? The house you're sleeping in to wake up in the morning to go get your orange juice, to go get your milk, the house you're sleeping in, you pay for that, right? You're either paying rent or you're paying a mortgage, and it costs money to do that. The bed that you're sleeping in, the bed that's in the house that you wake up in, and then you go to the kitchen, you open your fridge, you get your milk or your orange juice, that bed you bought with money. And so you go to work every day. When you go to work, you're not going just to have fun, are you? Right? Maybe going to have fun. How, how many of you love your job? It's good. Many people love their jobs. Dominic raised his hand back there. You better love your job, buddy. <laughs> we all love our jobs, right? And, and, but, but we're not there just because we love it. We're there because we, make, we need to provide for our families. We make money. And so money is connected with every area of our life. You know, Jesus spoke more about money than practically any other subject he spoke about in, in the Gospels. Money is a big deal. Money is connected to every area of our life. And so it's important that we have the correct view of money. It's important that we see it the way that God says we should see it. And actually, when we look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about money. And there really is only one position and one view that we should have concerning money. Let's look at Matthew six twenty-two through 24. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light is in, if, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? He's speaking about how we see. What is the, what is the, the central point of our focus? And who are we worshiping? Who are we serving? For no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or money or mammon. You cannot serve God or money. So Jesus says there's really only two masters in this world. It's either him or it's money. And it shows you the influence and the power of money in our life. And how how it's so important for us to have a correct lens with which we view finances. And how are we going to handle it? How is our view? How are we going to use the finances that God has given us? So what I want to do this morning is I want to give us four big picture views, four big picture perspectives that will help us to see money the correct way. So the first one is this. The first perspective we have to have is that 
our money belongs to God. Our money, and I have it in quotations there. We, we think it's our money, but we need to realize that our money belongs to God. Psalms 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The earth is the Lord's and everyone that dwells in it. God owns everything. God is the owner. Our money, our life, our possessions, everything, who, everything that we are, everything that we're called to be, everything comes from God. He is the owner. He is the source. God is the owner. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. What do you have? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You know, that's the temptation. It's for us to look at the money that we have, to look at the possessions that we have, and to think, hey, I worked hard for that. I sweated for that. I spent lots of sleepless nights working hard for that money to buy that house, to buy that boat, to buy those golf clubs, to buy whatever I desire to buy, and that is mine. I worked hard for that. But when you think about it, when you take it all the way back, what do we have that we did not receive? Think about it. What do we have that we did not receive? You know, we are in the position of being receivers of things. God is the only one that did not receive anything from anybody. God is the source. God is the source. God is creator God. He gives us everything. He is the source of our life. He is the source of our breath. He is the source of our energy. He is the source of our, of our intellect, the source of our ability to think rational thoughts, our ability to have creative thoughts, our ability to work well, to be disciplined. He's the source of all that. But we, we're created. And so we receive everything that we have. We receive intellect. We receive strength. We receive breath. We receive that good idea. You know the good ideas that you have? that take you far in life, the good ideas you have that, that God uses to pave your way on the job that you have, that, that good idea didn't come from, from, from you. That was not your idea. You wouldn't have had the idea had God not decided to give you life, to, be, to breathe breath in your lungs, to cause you to think the thoughts that you thought that gave you the idea that you had. Whatever we have, it's because we've received it from God. God is the only one who's not received anything from anyone. He is the only source of all created things. As created things, as created beings, everything we have, starting with our life, has been given to us. And it is the ultimate pride to boast. It's the ultimate pride to boast about anything that we possess or have accomplished. All boasting is meaningless, when you understand that without God, we can do nothing. I mean, it, it is so, it's so prideful when you, see some, when you see anybody. And, you know, we always tend to pick on athletes. But, you know, when you think about that athlete that's on that basketball court or on that football field or on that baseball diamond. And they, 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 they do something successful. They make the shot. They hit the home run. They score the touchdown. And, and they boast in it. Like it was really them that did that. It was really their skill that got them there. And it is prideful to ignore the fact that it was a long road that got them there. And that road started with God. Who gave them that ability. Who gave them that skill. Who gave them that desire to be an athlete. And it was that mama. And that daddy. Who helped them. Who took them to the practices. 
who, who were faithful to, to make sure that they got the training and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and help them to develop the skills that they have. It, all, it, comes from, it comes from someone else. God uses other people to help us to grow in our giftings. And so all boasting is prideful. All boasting is meaningless when you understand that without God, you can do nothing. Our money, our possessions, everything that we are, our time, our talents, all comes from, from God. Without God's gifting in us, we could not produce or accomplish anything without him. The wealth could, that, we could, that we can gain and we can build, that comes from God. That's what Deuteronomy 8 says. And this is a warning from God to the children of Israel, and it's a warning for us today. Deuteronomy 8 says this, beware, beware, take caution, beware lest you say in your heart. Where, where does boasting come from? Where does pride come from? From the heart. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has given me this wealth. It's given me this success. Has given me what what I've accomplished. It's my might. It's my power. You shall remember. Remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It's him who gives you the power to be successful. It's him that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. So beware. Beware. Take careful attention. Pay careful attention to remember, to say, God, I, I, I acknowledge that this money, these possessions, these giftings, these talents, these abilities that, that, that I have, God, I acknowledge it comes from you, that you're the source. And that, that is the primary view we must have as concerning money. It is the primary view. We must recognize that our money is not our money. Because if we think it's our money, then what are we going to do with it? Right? We're going to do what we want to do with it. If we believe it belongs to us and we believe that we're the owners, then that means we're going to do what we want to do with it. But we have to believe that God is the owner. God is the owner. I want to read this quote. It's a little lengthy quote. It's by a guy named David Briones. And it was an online article speaking on this subject. I just want to read what he says here. He says, although it manifests itself differently today, boasting still runs rampant in the church and discloses a major inconsistency in the lives of believers. To put it bluntly, we often think and act like the world. We think that our house is a result of our hard labor at work. That our job is a direct corollary of our educational achievements and our intellectual aptitude. Or that favor from the world is a natural consequence of our unique personalities. We then begin acting in a way that confirms those beliefs. Our speech reveals the fact that we neither believe that the Lord gives nor that he takes away. Our actions demonstrate that we believe we can determine our own destinies. I want to stop right there. That, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. How many times do you hear people say that? I, I control my destiny. You can, you'll figure out real, real quickly in your life that you don't control your own destiny. Your life is in God's hands. He's the one who said start to your life, and he's the one who can say done to your life. You don't control your own destiny. Your life is in his hands. He's the, the giver of life, and he's the taker of life. His life is in your hands. And our lives are characterized more by self-sufficiency than dependence on God. And that, that, that should never be. 
May that not be how we respond as Christians. May we recognize that our money, who we are, all comes from God. The giftings, the talents, the callings. We are not self-sufficient human beings. We are needy people. We are needy people. John, John, John 15, 5, Jesus said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, there's this self-sufficient attitude we have in, uh, in our culture, in American culture, and, and it is, it is um, an, an affront to God. I talked about this a few weeks ago, this get-her-done mindset. I'm going to get her done. Yeah, I'm all about hard work. I told the graduates on Friday night at the Home of Christian graduation, work hard at whatever you do. Work hard. Be diligent. Be faithful. It will take you far in life. But a self-sufficient attitude is a prideful attitude. That hard work that we work hard at, it's because God gives us the strength to work hard. We have to acknowledge that. So that's the first big picture perspective. Our money is not our money. It belongs to God. So if our money is not our money, then what does that make us? If it belongs to God, what does that make us? Stewards, right? Number two, big picture view. God entrusts his resources to us. He says, he says, Ben, I'm giving you these resources. I'm giving you finances. I'm giving you giftings. I'm giving you talents. I'm giving you this, the intellect that you have. I'm giving you everything that you have. It, it's coming from me, and I'm asking you to steward it, to be a steward. And the, that, the, that word steward... In the Greek, when it's used in the New Testament, this is what it means. It means a house distributor or manager, an overseer, or an employee, or by extension, a fiscal agent, a treasurer. That's the picture of being a steward. We are, an, we are God's employee. God's the owner. We work for him. And he says, I'm giving you X amount of years to live in this earth. I'm giving you X amount of influence. I'm giving you these talents. I'm giving you these skills. And steward it. Work it, develop it, work well at it, be faithful at it. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. If you're a, if you're a steward and, and, and you don't steward well, you are unfaithful. You weren't faithful at what God gave you to steward. And so we are required by God to steward our life, to steward who he made us to be. You know, some of you here this morning, you have gifts and talents in your life that God has given you and you're not stewarding it well. They're, they're lying dormant. And God placed dreams in your heart. He's placed desires in your heart. And, and you know God has called you to do certain things and they're just sitting there. They're just sitting there. And God's telling you, hey, look, that doesn't belong to you. That desire and those giftings and those callings, it's my calling. And when I give it to you, I'm asking you to do something with it. And so what, 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 what is our response? Our response is, yes, Lord, you've called me. God, you've given me these desires, these giftings, these callings, and I'm surrendering them to you. That's the big picture of stewardship. It's not just money. It's not just resources. It's our time. It's our talents. It's our giftings. We're saying, God, I recognize that I only have a certain amount of time to live on this earth. We only have a certain amount of time to live on planet earth. One of these days, I'm going to die, and you're going to die. And we're not going to think, we're not going to think back, man, that life was long. We're going to think that life was short. It's a blink of an eye, and we're gone. So in view of that, we recognize that our stewardship is great. 
We have great responsibility. You guys remember the story in Matthew chapter 25 and Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God. And he's, using par- he's using parables to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And, and he talks about the parable of the talents. And he talks about three different individuals. And he says, to one he gave five talents. To two he gave, to, to, to the other he gave two talents. And to one he gave one. And the ultimate picture, the ultimate meaning behind this parable is that, is that, that not everybody that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to respond correctly. And at the end, there will be some who will reject the gospel. And at the end of this parable, he says, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But I also believe there's a principle in this about stewardship. That we can see a principle of stewardship and our responsibility to steward well, not only the mysteries of the gospel, that when we receive them, that we act upon them and we respond in faith. But also when God gives us a responsibility, that we, that we do something with it. So let's, let's read this story, Matthew 25. It says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and Faithful, it is required of servants and stewards to be faithful. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But his master answered him, this is the wicked servant who took one, and what did he do with it? The, the one talent. He buried it. He took the one talent that the Lord had given him, and he buried it in the sand, buried it in the dirt. And listen to what he says. You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest belongs to him. The talent belongs to God. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. We're responsible to be faithful. God calls us to steward his gifts, his money, his time, the life he's given us. We're called to present it before God and to say, God, it's yours. It belongs to you. It's not mine. And I want to be found faithful. So just as, as just, a, just a warning, just a sobering warning to all of us, the talents That God's given us. The abilities that God's given us. The calling that he has given us. If we don't steward it well, one day it can be gone. One day it can be gone. And God will move on and God will raise up somebody else. God's calling us to take what God's given us. Our money, our resources, our time, our our talents. And to say, Lord, it's yours. I'm responsible to do with what you have given me to be faithful with it. So I just want to say a little side note here as we're concluding the second big picture here. I just want to say that's, that, that's our view as Living Word Church. Our view is to be faithful stewards over the resources that God has given us. You know, God has motivated you as a congregation and motivated your heart to be faithful in giving. And, and us as a church, as, as, as pastors, as a pastor, I feel responsible before the Lord to manage that well. To not be wasteful in our spending. To be diligent with the finances that God has blessed us with. And so we have a budget. How many of you have a budget? And more people need to raise their hands. Some of you, you just spend like, like, like you want. It must drive your, your spouse crazy. 
Like, I mean, look, it would drive my wife crazy if we didn't stick to a budget. I remember when we first got married, you know, when I was single, I didn't have a budget. I just got money in and money left. Money came in and money left. I paid my bills, but it just, I didn't organize it well. And when our first argument on the way back from a honeymoon was over the fact that she was trying to inform me that we needed to have a budget. And I could feel the constricting power from her words influencing my life. I began to feel claustrophobic. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I have to be told or, or encouraged not to spend here and there. And it's just, oh my goodness. And, uh, but thanks be to God and my wife because we have a house to live in and food to eat. Amen, right? You got to have a budget. You, you know, right? If you don't know where it's going, then that means you're not being faithful. You don't know where it's going. It's going to go somewhere. And so that's what we do. We have a budget at, at Living Word Church. We budget. We have categories that each, each ministry head has to work within that, those parameters. And, 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 and we want to be faithful stewards. And Clyde Noel is the administrative pastor here at our church. And he worked tirelessly to come up with that budget. It took you about, about a year or so, give or take. To work a budget, right? It, it's difficult because the issue is, is that the finances fluctuate. One week we, we, we get a certain amount that comes in, and the next week we're like, wow, what just happened there? And so you gotta kinda you gotta roll with the punches. So we are dealing, we, we are striving to be faithful with what God has given us. And so on that note, we want you to know that every year we will put out an annual financial report. And it is out there, it is on the window. Uh, and we've done that years ago, but uh, we want, I just want to make sure that it's there. It's on, uh, it's on the window. When you leave, go out these doors. You look at the office windows there, and you can look at where our money goes. Because so, we're called to be faithful and to be stewards. Amen? Amen? Amen. Third big picture view that we need to have of money is this. Contentment is worth fighting for. Contentment is worth fighting for. There is hardly anything in this culture today that will encourage you to be content with what you have. There are so many voices out there telling you that you need the newest. You need the greatest. You need the new iPhone. Right? I've talked about this previously. I have a weakness for the new iPhone. It's a, it's a problem that me and Stel have in our marriage. And I just want to get the new iPhone. And she's like, you don't need the new iPhone, but I want the new iPhone. And so, but, but there's no reason why I have to have the new iPhone. Does my phone work? Absolutely. Does it make phone calls? Absolutely. Can I find all the answers in life through Google on my phone? Absolutely. And just a side note, speaking of Google and the internet, is it Laurel or is it Yanny? <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. But I just have to say, a side note, it is Laurel and it can never be Yanny. How can Laurel ever be Yanny? Okay, I'm done. That's totally not spiritual. But I don't know how all you Yanny people can ever hear Yanny when Laurel is said. But we're, we are continually encouraged by our culture. And by, and listen to this, listen. Let's reel, let's, reel, let's reel you back in. I don't want you to start debating amongst yourselves. And for those of you who don't know, it's just this thing that went on the internet and you, someone says the word laurel and some people falsely believe that they're, he's that this saying yanny um but we are continually encouraged by our culture and by our own idolatrous hearts to want more to have the latest the best the biggest 
We look at our neighbors and what do we do? We compare. We look at his, at, at, for all, all you fishermen, you look at your neighbor's new bass boat and you think, you look at your small little pirog and you think, oh man, I could fish so much better and catch so many more fish in a nice bass boat. Brother Donald's over there waving his hand. I think he has his fisherman shirt on right now. Always ready to go fishing, right? But what we do is we compare and our hearts think that maybe what we have is not good enough. And discontentment is sown in our heart. But contentment is worth fighting for. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, famous portion of scripture here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we, can take, we cannot take anything out of the world. Right? Naked we came in, and naked we're leaving. When we die, people take our stuff. The boat, Brother Donald, they're going to take it. It's gone. Someone else will take it. Your wife's going to go fishing. Right? Your grandkids will go fishing. Other people are going to take your money. They're going to spend it in ways that you wouldn't spend it. Take nothing into the world. Brought nothing in. We take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, what should we be? Content. With these, we shall be content. But those who desire, it's greed, who desire to be rich, what do you, if you desire to be rich and you're greedy after gain and possessions, you will fall into temptation, into a snare. Greediness is a snare. It's a snare. It traps you into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The love of money, the love, the desire to have more and more and more money is the root of all kinds of evil. To love money. It is through these cravings that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Greed and contentment are both conditions of the heart. Greed and contentment are both conditions of the heart. Contentment is worth fighting for. Fight for contentment in your life. It, it will help your budget out. It will help you out. It will help your marriage out. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 says this, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. So what is, what is the writer of Proverbs saying here? He's saying, listen to God's word. They are the source of life. They will speak truth to you. They will, they will guide you. They will guard you. They will protect you. And listen to what it says. For they are life to all those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. What Solomon is saying there in Proverbs, he's saying that your heart is, is the central point of all of your affections. And if you don't guard your heart from the ways of this world, then you, then you will believe that you don't have everything that you need to have. You will not be content and you will be, you, you will be greedy for money and more possessions and things that, that, that you do not need. Our heart is the center of all of our, of all of our affections. The things we love will be the things we pursue. The things we love will be the things we pursue. So I just want to say this. This is, this is my challenge to you. I'm going to challenge you in the same way that my wife challenges us as a family. Mute the commercials. Mute 
the commercials. That is my wife's, you've heard me say this before, that is my wife's life motto. Mute the commercials. If you want to stay content in your life, mute the commercials in your head. Mute the ones you see on TV trying to sell you anything and everything. Mute the commercials that are running in your head when you see your neighbor's bass boat. Mute the commercials when you're looking around at what everyone else has. Mute them and pursue God's word. Pursue truth. Remind yourself that godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? Whatever has power over our heart and affections will influence how we view money and possessions. Amen? Amen. The fourth big picture view that we need to have concerning money is this. The gospel produces a a generous heart. The gospel produces a generous heart. So up to this point, we've talked about who is the owner of our money. God, what are we? We're stewards. And what do we need to fight to have? Contentment. But that's not the last subject we need to deal with that's concerning money. We need to recognize that God's called us to be generous. That God has called us to take his finances and to use them the ways, in, 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 in the ways that he calls us to use them. So what I want to establish here is that the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And the gospel produces a generous heart. Why does, the gospel, why does the gospel produce a generous heart? Because the gospel is a generous message. Because God, in, in while we were still sinners, he died for us. He was generous. He was lavish with his love. The heart of the gospel is this, that Jesus, who knew no sin, took our sin upon himself. He bore in his body the penalty for our, for our rebellion against God. And Romans chapter 3 says that the penalty of sin is death. Jesus died, took that penalty. He died in our place. The gospel says that he did not stay dead. He resurrected on the third day, thereby defeating death, hell, and the grave. He forever destroyed the power of sin and death. His substitutionary death, substitutionary death taking our place, his substitutionary death And his resurrection provided a way for us to be reconciled back to relationship with God. This access to God provided by Jesus is made available to us through faith. When we place our faith in Christ alone for salvation, we are graciously and generously welcomed into the family of God. We're born again. We are new creations in Christ. The old man is dead And we are given newness of life. Our desires, this is the key to the gospel. Our desires are changed. Our whole view of the world is transformed. So how does the gospel, as I just read to you, how does the gospel change every area of our life? How does it change our view of money? It changes everything. It changes everything. This is how it changes it. You know, in in my Christian life, if I believe that the things that I do for God are done because I have to do them? Because, because it's, it's something that I'm obligated to do and it's not a part of my heart, then I've not been transformed by the gospel yet. You know, when I submit my life to Jesus Christ and I give him my life by faith and I believe in the power of the gospel, my heart is changed. And so now, when I offer him the talents that he's given me, when I offer him the life that he's given me, it's not done out of legalism. 
It's not done because I feel like I have to do it and I'm trying to prove myself to God. And that's true in every area of our life. And so why wouldn't it be true with our finances? When you give your finances and you give it to God, you put him first, you give him the first fruits of all your increase and you honor him with your finances. If you're doing it because you feel like I have to do it, if you're doing it because you feel like it's your duty and, 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 and there's no joy in it, then you've missed the blessing of giving. And the gospel has not transformed your giving yet. The gospel changes our heart. Our desires are changing. We no longer desire to, to live for ourselves, but rather to live for God and his glory. And the gospel addresses our inner motivations. And that's why our money has to be given through a gospel lens. Look, look at what Jesus said. Jesus talked about giving and, and generosity. And, and giving and generosity has always been connected to our motivations. And Jesus talks about it here in Matthew 6. Let's, let's listen to this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. So what was, what, what was happening here? The Pharisees, when they would give, they would blow the trumpet. They would blow a loud noise on the trumpet so everybody in the temple courts could see when they came in. Because they were carrying their bags of money. And they wanted to be seen by men to be generous. And so they would come in and they would drop their offerings into the plate. I can imagine, I can picture it. This loud noise, all their coins are dropping in. And they got their reward right there. They didn't get any reward with God. When you give to the needy, don't sound the trumpet before you as a hypocrite to do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give, when we give, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees, what does the father see in secret? He will, re- he will reward you. But what does he see in secret? Your heart. It's all about your heart. When you give your finances to this church, you give your finances to charities outside of the church, anytime you give your finances, God sees your heart. And if you give it for wrong motivations, there's no blessing. It has to be correct motivations. It has to be through the lens of the gospel. Because Jesus so lavishly gave his life for me, I lavishly give all of my life to him, my time, my talents, and my treasure. The Apostle Paul dealt with giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Listen to what he says here. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. There is a blessing in bountiful giving. But each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Where is it connected? It's connected to your heart. It's not legalism. It's connected to your heart. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly. Key word here, and not under compulsion. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a, who does God love? Cheerful giver. He doesn't love a reluctant giver. Oh, oh, I just have to do this. I don't really want to. I could put that money somewhere else. God doesn't love that. Or, or I feel like I have to do it. Because if I don't do it, I'm going to be cursed. If I don't do it, God's going to remove his blessings. That's not, that's not giving. That's something else. 
the gospel produces a heart of joyful generosity. I want to look at those two words, reluct, reluctantly and compulsion. When you look up reluctantly and compulsion in the Greek, this is, this is what they mean. Reluctantly means with grief, sorrow, or sadness. Done primarily out of a sense of duty or obligation, but no joy. Don't give like that. Don't give like that. Give because the gospel has transformed your heart. Compulsion refers to external pressure and, co- and coercion. Somebody's pressuring you. You ever been pressured to give? You, you, you ever been told, if, if you don't give this or, or you need to give this to get this blessing and they're trying to pressure you to give, don't give out of coercion. And because it could possibly be connected to legalism. We give because we are cheerful givers. The gospel produces a heart of joyful, gen- joyful generosity. Our view of money should be impacted just as much as every other area of our life has been impacted by the gospel. I don't serve Christ with grief, sorrow, or sadness. I don't seek to further the gospel out of a sense of obligation or duty. I don't offer the talents the Lord has given me because of external pressure or, or coercion. I don't give my life and say, I'm going to commit to be the pastor of the church because Pastor Renee put a gun to my head and said, you better do it because I got to go be with my grandkids. He didn't do that. He, he could have said, the board of trustees at our church could have said, I'm not gonna, we're not going to pay you any money. I'd have been right here March 11th because I'm called to do it. Because I'm called to do it. Not out, of, not out of coercion or external pressure. The same is true with the money the Lord has lent me. I joyfully give back to him what he has so graciously given me. Amen. And so this is what we say. We say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. You can have it all. The time, the talents, and the treasure that you have given me. I joyfully offer it back up to you. I joyfully offer it back up to you. Amen. Amen. So this concludes our DNA series. This concludes our DNA series. We're done with these nine lessons. And Jacob Noel has been talking to me about writing a book take all nine of those lessons and take those sermons and put them into chapter form and write a book. And I think it would be great if we could take all nine of these chapters and we could make them into a book. And when people want to know what our church is about, here's our DNA. It could be just simply titled DNA. We give it to, we give it to them and here's what we are about at Living Word Church. And they could catch a heart for that. And so maybe we will do that. Maybe I can get my secretary wife to help me out with that. Um, so what I want to do at the end of this DNA series is I, I just want to share our our vision statement. And I want to say that this vision statement that, we're about to pre- that I'm about to present to you is, the, is, is my heart for Living Word Church. It's, it, it is what is the guiding principles with which I want us to live by. And I forgot to give this on the screen, but we all know this reference. I just want to read Matthew, tw- Matthew 28. If you actually have a hard copy Bible, which we need to bring, bring your Bible to church, right? We need to bring our, our Bibles to church. We're trying to, we're eventually going to do away with that screen because we clearly can't get this one going. So we might as well just do away with all of them. I'm joking. By the way, just a side note, we ordered the new projector and I was hoping to promise it to you this Sunday, but we took it out of the box and it was broken. What happened was Mark was testing it. I walked in, it was working. I walked up to the projector and it stopped working. So Mark told me that when the, when the new one comes back in, that I'm not allowed in the sanctuary to look at it. Matthew 28, 
It's the great, it's the great commission. And what's the great commission? It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That, that is our vision statement. This is the core of, our, of every church, every Christian's vision statement. And so we wanted to articulate it. And so this is our vision statement at Living Word Church. Living Word Church exists for the purpose of exalting Christ. Everything that we do, we want to exalt Christ. Through the songs that we sing, through the messages that we preach, through Family Fun Day, through all of our outreaches, everything that we do, we want to exalt Christ. If we do things as a church that do not exalt Christ, we're wasting our time. This is about lifting up his name. This is about exalting him. So we exist for the purpose of exalting Christ. Secondly, as Matthew 28 says, we exist for the purpose of making disciples, seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you make a disciple, it's somebody that has been born again. We want to see disciples made. And then thirdly, we want to equip them. We want to equip the saints. We want, I, I, I want to see this a, a church filled with, as Jacob said, a, a, a church of a thousand ministers that are equipped with the gospel message to take that message out of these walls, to go out of these four walls and to take the gospel everywhere that you go, that you would exalt Christ, that you would make disciples in your everyday life. So this is the vision statement of our church. So if, you, if, if people want to know what we're about, that's it. Exalting Christ, making disciples, and equipping the saints. Amen? Amen. Why not you stand to your feet with me? God, I thank you, Lord, for everything you've done in these nine weeks in this DNA series. Lord, we have, we have declared powerful truths from your word about what we are declaring and saying that we want to be the core of who we are as a church. Lord, we want to be a people of God that pursue you in prayer. We want to be a people of God that, that lift high your name, that honor your word. We want to be a people of God a church that is evangelistic and outreach-minded. Lord, we want to be a church, Lord, that serves you in every area of our life. We want to present to you our time, our talent, and our treasures to you, Lord. Lord, our life is yours. We belong to you as a church. And I thank you, Lord, for the future that you've called us to as individuals and as a congregation. God, I pray that that we would be even more unified as a congregation. I pray, God, that our eyes would shift from man, that our eyes would shift from man, that we would continually look up, that we'd lift our eyes up to you, that we would live for the praise and the glory of your name. Lord, let that be the heart of who we are as individuals, but let that be the heart of who we are as a church. And God, I pray that that love for you would be contagious. And that people that come in from the outside and they, they, they get to witness what we do on Sundays, Lord, that their hearts would be stirred and they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that who we are as individuals will be contagious as we leave and we are on our jobs and we're in our families and we're at the supermarket. Wherever we go, Lord, let our lives be contagious for you. That people would look at us and say there's something different in that person. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom would be furthered, would be advanced through our lives, through our congregation. Lord, this is your church. It doesn't belong to any, in, to any individual, God. It is your church. These are your people. And we submit ourselves to you, to your authority, and to your plan. 
God, use us for the praise of your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.